Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined on the other line by EJ Snyder, the site's lead draft analyst. EJ, how'd the bye week treat you? It was different, but I enjoyed it. I uh, went for some different routines, didn't have to watch the game on Sunday. Um, yeah, it was not cool because I didn't have a Bears game, but it was cool because that's the only time that'll happen this season. So um, I'm, I'm living a good life. Well, I think I am, at least unofficially, not allowed back in Arrowhead Stadium, <clears throat> at least for a while. <laughs> I went to the last two games in Arrowhead and uh, was looking forward to the Luck-Mahomes game, as I talked about last week. Obviously, Luck retired, so I'd already committed to those tickets. But then I had another group of friends uh, that wanted to go to a game, and we picked the Watson-Mahomes game. So two straight weeks, and I could care less if the Chiefs win or not, but you know, two two home losses for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations back to back is pretty surprising. So, um, yeah, I don't know. My bad luck apparently continued, but I have to say, I was I was cheering for the Texans on that game. Um, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly, I was kind of hoping that they would take care of business. Um, <clears throat> so that was my bye week. Was going and watching another football team. Uh, but let's get into the beers. You say you have an embarrassment of riches to share with the class, and so why don't you go first? Uh, yeah, it's true. Uh, I have an upcoming anniversary, and my lovely wife, uh, who edited many of my articles on WCG, so lots of readers are familiar with her near sainthood staying up late and editing my stuff, has chosen to buy me uh, different beers and alcohols for each year that we have been together. Uh, which is a while now. So she's been coming home and sort of laying them out one at a time. And so I probably have 15 different beers in the fridge right now. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, you know, onesies, twosies, a couple of six packs, uh, a couple of 22s. And so lots and lots of stuff that will be appearing on the podcast for, for weeks to come because I, I do enjoy beer, but I can't drink a lot of it all at once anymore. So this week I chose, um, a beer I haven't had in a long time, but it's from the Samuel Smith old brewery in England, uh, established in 1758 and they make several beers. Uh, that are quite famous. I really like their brown, and I have one of those as well. They're not brown, but this is their Tadcaster, their Taddy Porter, uh, very black porter. Um, this is a 22, or the English version thereof, and I will be drinking it out of a glass. And you will not hear me open it because I had to open it early and warm it to temperature because it is not supposed to be served at the temperature that my fridge is, which is a little bit cold. So, uh, opened it a little bit early and it's been airing out, but that's what I'll be drinking tonight. What do you have? Well, let me first say congratulations. Happy anniversary. Uh, and I have met your wife and you definitely outkicked your coverage as the saying goes. So congratulations for keeping that going. Um, my wife and I also celebrated a big anniversary recently, 10 years. So, uh, cheers to the better halves. Nice work. Yeah, indeed. Cheers to the better halves who put up with all this nonsense and podcasting because, uh, this content would not come to you without them. Yeah, and really the podcasting least of it for, for me that she has to put up with. So, you know, this gives her space and they go do something else. But you're right. Uh, kudos to them. So what I've got tonight, and I, it's it's October, it's cold in Iowa. Uh, and it's just, you can just kind of tell, you know, the season has turned. We are ready for full into fall. I brought a pumpkin stout onto the podcast. And I know... I know a lot of purists out there just do not like the pumpkin beers, 
But I, I kind of agree with you. The pumpkin ales aren't my favorite. They're usually overspiced, not done very well. Uh, but this pumpkin spout, stout, it's called Black O'Lantern, and it is from Wasatch Brewery. And so I've had this before. It's a, So that's out of Salt, Salt Lake City, Utah. And I, I actually really like it. So when you use a, a heavier beer like a stout, you can carry some of these flavors a little better than you can on just an ale. So um, it's a pretty good beer. I've had it before, but uh, it's the season to, to have something that has pumpkin in it. So this is my version of a pumpkin spice latte. Let's open it up. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm with you that pumpkin ales can be disappointing, but if you do like pumpkin stuff, you're right. This is the time of year, and and to be completely honest, I didn't want to drink on an empty stomach, and so I had a piece of pumpkin pie before I came down to start recording the podcast. So I'm, I guess, I'm with you in spirit. Well, I would drink. I would eat pumpkin pie too. Yeah, I mean that. I, I've not. There's not a lot of pies in the world that I've ever passed up. Uh, so that's that sounds pretty good. All right. Well, we got those going. So let's let's get into uh, our our show. So what we're going to do is we've got a couple topics that we want to hit up. We'll pause for a quick break and then we're going to get into our Saints preview. So since the last time that we came to you, a couple of big things have happened, not necessarily unexpected things, but things that we want to cover and talk about what that means. So the first is Kyle Long to the IR. Uh, this is opens up an opportunity for Rashad Coward. We, we both think that he's going to move into that spot and he'll have the first shot at filling that. But it also opened up an opportunity for Alex Bars, our favorite undrafted free agent out of Notre Dame that chose to sign with the Bears, even though he had plenty of offers. Uh, and then rumor has it that he turned down an offer from the Patriots to stick around. He probably knew that something like this was a likelihood to happen. So he's now on the active roster and maybe he has a shot at competing for that for that guard spot. Uh, thoughts on, well, you know, first of all, we, we talked a lot about Kyle Long last week, but now that it's official, just, you know, hey, like, this is my guy. You know, all, all love to Kyle Long, um, and I hope he gets just gets his body right. If he never plays football again, you know, I tweeted this out, like, just thanks for the memories. Like, I love this guy. You know, um, feel, feel bad that his body betrayed him. If he can get back to health and, and help this team out, that's great. But uh, just get healthy, Kyle. Um, we're, we're pulling for you in that way. Uh, but thoughts on Coward and Bars uh, as an opportunity to fill Kyle Long's spot? I think Coward showed quite a bit in his spot start a couple of weeks ago. Definitely some moldable talent. He's definitely got the physical frame. Now, again, this is a converted defensive lineman who played a little bit of tackle, and now they've slid him inside to guard and certainly speaks to his natural power and size. He could turn into a very good um, run-blocking guard right off, might turn into a good pass-blocking guard in a phone booth uh, in the guard spot. He had some work there on mobility uh, as a tackle, but... Guard might be just the thing for him, and I think right now he's going to play at a higher level than Kyle Long, and a lot of fans will jump all over that and say, no, no, he's not that talented. Well, it's not a question of talent. We we said it last week. Kyle couldn't move this season for whatever reason. Uh, the team did credit him with trying to play through an injury. They didn't say what that injury was, but it was pretty obvious that something was really affecting him because he he looked like he could barely stand up. Now, Coward looked to be pretty healthy. He definitely moves with power. And if the Bears are going to try and establish that smash mouth run game on the inside with Montgomery, it, it could be a real benefit. 
um, against some of the better defensive tackles in the league. We'll see how he holds up, but it's a great opportunity for him. And I'm glad that Barge gets a chance to hop up to the active roster. It's just a different level of prep. And look, he's uh, you know one play away from getting out there, and he looked much better in the preseason than I thought he would be. Um, not from a skill position standpoint, but from coming back from his injury, he looked a little creaky on the sidelines but when he was on the field in the preseason he was really effective in fact he was usually the most effective lineman on the field in those sort of second and third team situations so i think it's two good ads for the offensive line again sorry to see kyle go but um only sort of in a nostalgic way in a in a looking at the current state of the team way he he really had to be sat down yeah, and let's talk a little bit about that difference between guard and tackle. So I think from my opinion, playing tackle is a lot about how you negotiate space, whereas playing guard is more about leverage because the block is going to come a lot faster. And so sometimes it, it is just a matter of you try a guy out at tackle because he's got the size and you want to see uh, if you can if you can get a tackle out of that skill set or that, that frame. But if you can't, you slide him in to see if you can still take advantage of that power. And he does seem like he's a much more natural guard than he does uh, playing tackle. He looks a little lost in space. And, and that's, I mean, there's a lot of instinct that goes into playing tackle. And if you don't have it, you don't have it. Um, and I think it's a little easier to develop some of those raw skills as a guard just because um, you get to take advantage of that strength. And so do you see that that defensive lineman conversion is a little easier over to guard than it would be to tackle? I hope so. I'm not really sure, uh, not having played either, but there are some natural tendencies uh, at guard, like you said. Game comes at you a lot faster. The space is much more limited. It's much more about raw power and, and leverage, almost that. And that's why you see a lot of successful wrestlers uh, on interior line positions, both at center and guard. They know a lot about leverage, speed, quickness, um, whoever sort of wins the hand strike battle. And then it's just, you know, grunt it out and, and move your feet um, to stay in front of somebody. Whereas tackle, there's a lot more strategy, there's a lot more space. So guys can go two, three, four ways on you. Um, and you've got to control your balance a lot better than you do at guard, I think, um, in terms of it's almost, uh, you know, it's completely three-dimensional at tackle. At, at guard, it's a little bit more two-dimensional, so let's hope so. Yeah, and I, I think with bars, when we saw him in camp, he looked like he was limping around a little bit, had a knee brace, obviously working back from an injury, younger guy, so, you know, those things are possible, but you'd kind of hope that Coward can just kind of take control of this position and play it well and allow Bars to continue to heal and now just be on the active roster. Hopefully he is able to continue his rehab and his development, but uh, pressing him into a starting role worries me a little bit, and so I kind of hope that doesn't happen unless... You know, he's just shown that much more progression in his young career at this point. But um, let's just hope Coward takes the takes the position and runs with it, and, and uh, we don't have to worry about bars until next year. Uh, but he's on the active roster. So the guy that we've been tracking since uh, since the draft that we've, been, we've both been very excited about, you know, he's, he's made his way onto that active roster. So it'd be really fun to see where his career goes. Yeah, absolutely. He's a great athlete. Um, he showed out. Uh, he was a star at Notre Dame for good reason. 
showed a lot more skill and sort of uh, readiness in the preseason than I thought. I had the same reservations that you did about him being fully healed and not rushing him back. And they played him pretty extensively in the preseason. And he, again, played well at guard, played well at tackle. Um, he was forced into to that role um, and didn't look out of place. Looked, in fact, better than most of his cohorts, which was really surprising to me. A real credit to his ability to to move around, play different positions, and you know, looked definitely farther along than he did when we saw him at camp, which was only a few weeks later. So I, I doubt he was, but maybe he's just maybe he's just one of those gamers that sort of straps it up and goes for it. But I'm with you. It'll be great if he can settle in and learn behind the veterans in front of him, and then really come out hopefully next year and compete for that starting spot because it looks like he's got the talent to play at that level. Absolutely. Yeah, bars and white hair sounds like a good guard combination to me. Uh, let's move to the other side of the line. Uh, we, we're co- recording this on Tuesday night. We learned today that Akeem Hicks is put on the IR. Uh, not necessarily completely shocking that that would happen. That elbow injury that he suffered against Oakland looked pretty brutal. Uh, and so uh, the IR means that there's a couple ways to do that. It can be a season-ending uh, injured reserve designation or uh, a, a return, which is eight weeks. And so this is definitely an eight-week-to-return uh, designation for Hicks. I, I I can't tell. I didn't see necessarily any reporting, but it's either the Lions game on Thanksgiving or maybe the next week against the Cowboys. So kind of look for those one of those games for Hicks to come back means that those defensive linemen behind them are going to have that opportunity to step up. But uh, according to the practice reports, it looks like Nichols was starting to practice. Uh, and so that's a big lift if he is able to make it back this week. Any thoughts on what we're missing with Hicks? We've talked about it a little bit on a couple shows uh, with the defensive line stepping up. But any, any additional thoughts on Hicks's backups? Uh, they did bring Abdullah Anderson back up in all the roster moves, uh, which was good. I thought he was playing at a pretty high level. Um, very nice to see Bilal Nichols. That's been a very sort of quiet thing ever since he hurt his hand. He hasn't been contributing and he looked, uh, you know, terrific last year. Um, we were estimating again that this year he was going to continue that maturation and and start off where he left off um we're not sure if that's going to happen after the injury but he looked like a really good player uh at the end of last year his return could definitely help buoy that line williams and anderson have been playing really well i think goldman needs to actually step it up a little bit um he's been solid but not really impactful in the way that we've seen in years prior so uh there's enough talent there and if they play as a team if they play as a as a line unit and as a, a as a team, as a front seven stopping the run, we've seen what they, they could do. Hicks's presence is important because he's certainly a sort of a fire starter for that defense and a blue chip player. Let's not be let's not beat around the bush. He's one of the top defensive linemen in the league, so his loss certainly hurts. But they've showed they've got enough gumption to hang with teams and really control them, uh, especially in the running game from the defensive linemen. And if they're able to do that um, in his absence, I think it's a, it's a real testament to the depth and it won't hurt the bears defense that much overall. Yeah. I think if you're going to lose a blue chip player, and I do think that there are a few on this team uh, for an extended period of time, the bears are in the best position to try to hold the, 
the ship uh, with Hicks. I don't think you can you lose Mac. I think the defense pretty much uh, goes down to an eh, above average unit. And I think if you lost Eddie Jackson, you'd have a really big time, a hard time replacing him in the back end. But uh, you know, again, just it's kind of like how long. I love Akeem Hicks, and so all the best to him, and hopefully he gets that healed and, and is able to to play again uh, this year. If it turns out that he that he can't, I mean, geez, it just looks like a kind of terrible injury. So uh, no no guarantees, but that eight weeks to return puts you somewhere around that December, uh, early December, late November time frame. So um, look for that. Uh, the next next note that I wanted to cover. And this actually goes back to the game that I was at, the Chiefs and the Texans, and the Monday Night Football game, the Packers and the Lions. But the officiating this year, I think, is as bad as ever. And that the game that I was at, there was 21 accepted penalties. And I think there were a couple more that were just, you know, they, they took the play on the field. 21 accepted penalties. And it just seemed like every other play, there was a, you know, a yellow flag on the field. And the obviously, the, there's a partisanship in, in a home stadium. And every call that goes against the home team is the worst call in the world. And every call that goes against the other team is the great call. You know, of course, there's that. But as an independent third party, I'm watching these calls. And there's just so many of them that are just like, God, did that need to be made? And then I tune in late. And you chided me on Twitter for watching Packers games, as you probably should. But um, I tuned in late to the Packers game last night. And, you know, the Lions were up. And I saw two phantom hands-to-the-face penalties against Bakhtiari. And a pass interference call that wasn't made uh, on Marvin Jones of the Lions. And any of those calls, you know, if they're called the right way, really helps the Lions, uh, you know, secure that victory. It was a, that first uh, hands-to-the-face call was a third and long. Rodgers dropped back and kind of just flopped to the ground. And they had a penalty flag on the field. And they're like, oh, I get, maybe they're getting Bakhtiari for a hold. And they called that play. And I'm like, what? How is that legal hands-to-the-face? And they showed it. Not anywhere close. And, and rightfully so, everybody's jumping on this. Even former Packers players were up in arms about this. Like, this is terrible. And I, I just don't know that I've ever seen officiating as bad as I've seen it this year. And I think that a lot of people are losing the taste for the NFL because of it. I think they're really playing with fire here. What are your thoughts and what have you seen about some of these calls? The level that it's reached is, I'm with you, I don't want to say unprecedented because I've you know I've been an active fan of the league since the early 80s. Um, we've seen definitely ups, downs, replacement refs, a lot of different things. So I'm not going to say unprecedented, but it's really, really bad. And um, the anecdotal measurement of that is one of the quietest players in NFL history, Barry Sanders, uh, who probably said, uh, I think I saw a tweet from Ross Reed that said he said all of 15 words in his entire playing career, which is about right, might be a little high actually is tweeting about the officiating and not just because he's a lion. Uh, he's talking about the integrity of the game. And I've also heard, uh, you always hear upset fans about bad calls. Look, I'm, I'm a fan of a team. I've been upset about bad calls for sure. Um, I've been upset about really bad calls and non calls last year's, uh, you know, saints Rams game. 
it was a terrible non-call. Definitely affected the outcome of the game. And I'm not much for saying the officials uh, are the ones that really determine the fate of the contest, right? It was always when we were growing up, look, make more plays, you know, don't leave plays on the field, the, you know, don't leave it in the officials' hands. It really feels like it's more in the officials' hands than it's ever been. And that's not right. That's not why people watch the game. And the other thing is people are starting to talk openly about fixing. Mm -hmm. And the NFL has never felt fixed. Uh, where the the outcome has been, you know, pre-decided. Um, there's certainly been people that have leaned towards it, um, but that's a very dangerous line to be walking as the league moves into Las Vegas and gambling reaches new heights of openness in many states. And a lot of money changes hands on these games. It's not just the ownership money, which is immense. There are, you know... Hundreds of millions of dollars that change hands every Sunday because of these outcomes. And if you've got calls that when you go back and look at them look completely fictional, that's not going to hold up very long before people lose faith in the product. And I look at what happened to boxing, right? I was a, I've never been a great boxing fan, but I, I can appreciate people who are. But boxing reached a level of... Uh, let's just say inequity in the terms of decisions and people just sort of lost faith in the product and said, look, it's pre-decided. There's palookas. People are taking dives. It's not really a sport anymore. It's a, a predetermined activity that you can lose money on. And if the NFL gets to that point, I'm not saying they're to that point yet, but if they keep this up and they don't address this pretty aggressively, it won't be long before those calls are louder and louder and people start leaving because you just can't you just can't count on the officials giving you a fair shake. Yeah, and I don't want to make it all about the Packers because there's bad calls out through all throughout the league, but obviously we care about divisional opponents and if you look at the standings right now, the Packers are sitting at 5 and 1. If you go back and watch their games, you could make a pretty strong case that they should at least be sitting at 3 and 3. Those Lions, the Lions game and the Vikings game, I think, are very questionable on some of the calls that were made. Kirk Cousins had a hand in losing that game for the Vikings, but I still think that that crazy random call that they made against Cooks to take away a touchdown when no one thought anything was happening, they found it in a replay. Um, that blew my mind, especially seeing how hard it is to get pass interference called on replay everywhere else in the league. And then Denver, there was uh, questionable calls against Denver that probably helped, uh, you know, decide that game too. And you start to just get this really bad feeling, like you know, boy, Rogers is you know beloved by the league office anyway. We all know that we have to put up with all that commentary all the time. It doesn't take much of a conspiracy theorist to put those two things together and say, well, the league just wants to see the Packers in the Super Bowl because they know they can sell the heck out of it. And I, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't like that kind of thinking. But it's hard to not go down that path when you see it week after week and you see the Packers continue to get these calls or not get called on things that are textbook holding or, you know, what have you. And I was exchanging text messages with a friend and he said, look, Rogers and Brady are protected species. They get, they get calls that other people don't. And I go, that now extends to their left tackles? Because that was not protecting Rodgers. That was apparently protecting Bakhtiari. 
And, and so I don't really get what's happening here beyond like either just complete incompetence and no way to fix it. Or um, you go down the road of like some teams just get a lot more calls than other teams. Well, that's not new to sports. Let's be honest that stars get calls. Um, star pitchers have larger strike zones. Um, uh, star basketball players pick up calls, ticky tack and otherwise you could call them phantom that other players, you know, would kill to get. We've known for a while that the Packers were a somewhat protected species and people can say Rogers, but it's the Rogers sort of halo effect. It does indeed extend to Bakhtiari for sure. And we've talked about that. Um, for years now, I certainly have. Bakhtiari is a hold artist in the most classic way, and everybody says, oh, you're just Bears homers, right? And if anything about this controversy from the Monday night game that I'm really happy about is that now the whole nation is kind of pissed off mm-hmm. and saying, this is garbage, right? Which is exactly what we've been saying. Like, he absolutely mauled Khalil Mack in the last two meetings, and he got called for maybe one are two of those holds over two games when there were clearly eight or ten. He just couldn't handle him physically. And he mugged him repeatedly, and it didn't get called. And, you know, we throw our hands up and say, what does a guy have to do? But now the entire country is saying, this is garbage. This, uh, you know, has affected the results in the bottom line as it really has. I saw a thing on Twitter that said, listen, those those calls from the refs last night are the difference between the Lions leading the division and being in last place. Right. If you swap the game between Green Bay, turn it to a loss for Green Bay and a win for Detroit, they literally go from worst to first in the NFC North. Yeah. That's yeah. that's a swing. It's a tight division and 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 uh not and again, not to not to bury it, you know, keep hitting this point, but it's one thing to not call a penalty on the left tackle of the guy that's holding to protect the quarterback. It's another thing to call a penalty on the on the tackle that is protecting Rodgers because you think it's hands to the face even though you don't see a hand to the face. Like that that is so beyond anything I've ever seen in my life. It was crazy. I I if we keep talking about it I'll melt down. So we better move on. But yeah, um, we don't want you to melt. No, no, no. Not not yet. Um so let's let's move on. <laughs> I you sent me a note uh, you wanted to. You said you wanted to take a swing at the Chargers. So the floor is yours, sir. Yeah, I want to take a quick swing at the Chargers because uh, you know we do a pick 'em at work, which is just a straight pick winners. There's no money on it. It's just kind of for bragging rights. It's really fun. The guy that runs it um, writes up a hilarious sort of summary recap email, which is really the whole reason to be in the league. Uh, but every week I've got to pick the Chargers game, and and you like the Chargers. You're a fan of the Chargers. Um, I'm a fan of their talent uh, in terms of the players they have acquired. Their GM has done a fine job of collecting very, very talented players. But year after year, two things happen. Injuries ransack this team, and they underwhelm. They underperform. They underdeliver every year. It's it's like death and taxes, right? And the Chargers losing a lot of games that you think they should win. I'm really to the point. I had the feeling on Sunday that it's such a talented team. If you go through it level by level and you list out all the sort of blue chip or star players, I mean, their defensive line, we talked about it. It's loaded with Ingram and Bosa. They got Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame, who a lot of Chicago fans are probably familiar with, uh, you know, 
they got a pretty good safety that you were were uh, let's just say in love with during the draft season. Oh yeah, yeah. Philip Rivers is a talented quarterback, but he really he feels you know he's ever linked to um, Eli Manning because of course the draft day trade that sent him to San Diego and and Manning to New York. But I really think he's more like Cutler in terms of he'll let it loose. He's got some attitude. He's very, very talented. But again, if you look at that career record, it's it it hovers very close to to 500. They have one of the best wide receivers in the league and a very, very good backup in Mike Williams. And that's Keenan Allen was the first guy I was talking about. Hunter Henry again when he's healthy, one of the very top tight ends in the league. Uh, you know, Melvin Gordon as a running back, and we saw what his uh, what Eckler did as a backup. Um, very, very effective rushing attack. They just have talent all over the place and they just can't get it done. They've gone through a ton of coaches, bunch of different schemes. Um, you know, the ownership is the same and a lot of people call for Spanos and then they got, you know, completely overwhelmed at their last home game in LA and people can talk about football fans in LA, but I don't know if you saw the, the pictures of the Steelers fans just absolutely packing that it looked like a home game at three rivers i mean it was at heinz field it was crazy steelers fans outnumbered chargers fans by easily five to one if not much much more from the pictures i saw and it just all these things add up to the point where somebody posted an article and said if the chargers left la would anybody notice and i don't know that it's to that point but it really feels like short of their gm and not the talent on the field but you have to blow the whole thing up. You just have to get rid of Rivers, uh, get rid of some of the older talent, keep the younger talent that's harder to acquire, new coaching staff, keep the GM because, again, he's done a great job of assembling really solid talent. Um, you know, Obviously, you can't ship ownership out of town, um, but if you could, I know a lot of Chargers fans would, would kick the Spanos family to the curb. But it just feels like it's time to blow the whole thing up. Just say the Rivers experiment is over. Uh, obviously, get a whole new training and athletics staff. Um, keep your GM, but get a whole new coaching staff, get a new quarterback, get a new identity, and really start over because every year it's the same thing. It's like Groundhog's Day. Yeah, I mean, they were 12-4 and four last year, and they just were a little unfortunate. They were also in the same division as the Chiefs. And they've had some. They've had a couple of good years, and obviously they they uh, have run into you know the Patriots uh, you know a couple times in playoffs and things like that. But yeah, they've just never made it over that hump with Rivers, and that'll be his the the story written on his career. Right, is that he never never was able to make it past that stage, and they have a lot of really good talent. Um, I like him a lot. Obviously, you didn't mention Desmond King, who's a personal favorite of mine that I was hoping the Bears would get as well. And, uh, of course, Derwin James, who's been injured all year, uh, is the safety you were talking about that I, you said I was in love with. Or if you did, you were right. Um, and so, yeah, I there, did. there's a lot of guys on there. I mean, Bosa, you know, they, they just have a lot of talent, right? Um and and they're and they have the cool powder blue jerseys. That's really what it's all about, right? But what sure. is I I think you're right. Like they didn't have a huge fan base to begin with, but at least San Diego, you know, they were part of San Diego. And then they move into LA and LA I don't think cares about football at all, let alone two teams. They're probably somewhat interested in the Rams. They made it to the Super Bowl last year. 
but it's just not a city that's going to care enough to support two teams. So a team that travels well, a fan base that travels well like the Steelers, absolutely going to easily outnumber them in their home games. And so they're constantly playing away games. I mean, imagine how to build, you know, just depressing it would be to come to the line as an offense and make and it sounds like you're in a in an away game. Like yeah, just, Rivers had to make Rivers had to go to the silent count in that game right. because he couldn't hear in his own stadium. That's that's just staggering. That's an organization that seems primed to be able to relocate to a, a city that's thirsty for NFL. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's San Antonio. I don't know if that's Mexico City. I, I have no idea. I'm just saying that to me is a pretty prime candidate along with the Jaguars uh, of a team that I think seems like it could be mobile. Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I'm I just am so sick of seeing all that talent and all the expectation. I mean, as much for Chargers fans as as anybody. Somebody in that pick'em pool is a guy that grew up in San Diego, and he's like the Jets fans I know. Who you, are, you know, know a Chargers on. fan? I do know a oh Chargers my. fan. Okay, and yeah, they do exist out in the wild. I found one. Uh, I have proof. But I just feel so bad for him. And maybe if there's any other Chargers fans, which I know there are. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't need the city of San Diego jumping down my throat. I really like San Diego, and I feel bad for them that every year that oh, this is our year, and they get they always get the hype, right? They've got a ton of talent. This is going to be the year, and every year it's the same thing. I mean, you, it's maybe about a four win variable. You know, they very rarely go sub five hundred or or quote unquote tank, but. They're just never, it just has that feeling that they're stuck. You know, they're just stuck and they're not going anywhere. And it just feels like it's time to sort of blow it up, say, look, there were a lot of good things here. We're going to get rid of the old talent. We're going to, we're going to keep the proven pieces and we're, you know, we're just moving in a new direction. We're going with a new, new scheme, maybe make a big splash, college coach hire. I don't know what the answer is because they've tried a lot of it, but. Yeah, you got to do something else. Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's something that drastic. But boy, oh boy, they just every year it seems like the same thing. Well, we so will that's talk. It. I'll step off my soapbox. We will talk about them a lot more next week because that is the next Indeed. opponent. So uh, let's talk about this week's opponent on the other side of a quick break. All right, EJ, we're back. Let's talk about the Saints. So Saints come into this one. I think they're riding high. They're 5-1 and one despite missing Drew Brees for the last uh, three games. Um, or four games? Yeah, uh, crazy. Uh, yeah. We don't expect Brees to play in this one, and so it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater again. Uh, the Saints have managed to grind out some close games against Dallas and Jacksonville, and uh, they won in a bit more of a shootout against Tampa Bay. And so credit to Teddy for, for being able to put up some points against uh, Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles' team there. I think their defense has actually looked pretty solid the last couple of weeks, uh, which, which should scare us a little bit. They're led by defensive end Cam Jordan, who's really good. Uh, they've got a really good cornerback in Marshawn Lattimore. He looked like he was struggling a little bit to start the year, but he's really stepped up his game uh, recently as well. Uh, I think just overall the defense looks like they just they've been improving. I mean, I, they're not at the Bears level, but they're they're a good unit. Uh, only loss this year was on the road against the Rams. That's the game that Breeze got hurt. 
and uh, you know they managed to go into Jacksonville and uh, Seattle to get wins. And so this this not like this team can't travel. I know in the past people have thought, well, the Saints are good in the Superdome, but they're not really good outside of it. Uh, you know, going to Jacksonville might not sound that impressive, but you know that's not a terrible team. But then going to Seattle and collecting a win that's that's impressive. Um, so big picture wise, any thoughts on the Saints before we get into our three keys for the week? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a tough challenge for Chicago. New Orleans is a balanced team. You talked about it. They have what I would call solid coaching. Uh, the offense definitely is in a rhythm right now. Uh, Bridgewater is, has taken over that role. Um, he's one of the best backups in the NFL. He's showing why. Uh, the defense is pretty solid, and all all of it is sort of good or above average. There isn't there isn't a glaring weakness uh, with the Saints. Um, Teddy's proving that he was worth the big contract they gave him. I was a big fan of Teddy coming out of Louisville. I'm, I'm happy to see him have success. Um, he can challenge a defense. I ended up watching that game against Jacksonville and I'll talk about some of the things I saw, but he given the right, uh, given the right envelope, that guy can, can make a lot of plays. Cam Jordan's one of the most underrated players in the league. Um, every year he seems to put up sacks and not get the headlines. Um, doesn't have a ton of help on that defensive line in terms of pass rush. We'll talk about that in a second, but the bears are going to have to play well in all phases and get a couple of bounces to win this one. And that's not, uh, the bears haven't had a game really like that this year where they played well in all phases and got a little bit lucky. And I think they're probably going to have to do that against a very solid saints team. Now against the Jacksonville team, I did see a couple of things on offense. If you challenge Teddy and collapse the pocket quickly, he's not terribly effective. If you give that guy a clean pocket and a little bit of time, he will absolutely pick you apart. His mechanics are excellent when he's not rushed and he is very accurate. When he is moving, his mechanics break down a little bit and the Bears have been very good at moving quarterbacks under Pagano. They rush from various angles with various people. They almost always generate pressure pretty quickly. And if they get back to that, we didn't see a ton of it versus the Raiders, but in all the other games, we've seen that. If they get back to that, Bridgewater is not going to be terribly comfortable. Uh, The line is not great. The Saints line is not great at straight-up run blocking. That is sort of between the tackles run blocking. That's not where Kamara has been excelling. It's really stretching those plays to the outside on the sort of zone stretch plays. When they just sort of stack up against the Jacksonville defense, they got very, very little between the tackles. So the Bears, if they can, again, round back to that form where they're controlling the middle of the field against the run, they're going to force they're going to force the saints to do some things that they don't want to do on defense. Cam Jordan's a good pass rusher, but the saints defense reminds me a lot of the bears defense under Vic Fangio. And the fact that they almost always rush four. they don't blitz a lot. And if Cam Jordan doesn't get pressure, which he can't do one-on-one all the time, opposing quarterbacks have a lot of time. So if Trubisky does come back and start in this one, he should have enough time to throw. They're very good to speed on the outside. You talked about Marshawn Lattimore. They also have a couple of really good safeties. So those sort of screen passes and flares we've seen to the outside are not going to work. 
but they've got two weaknesses, and one is one that we've been banging on all season, which is crossing routes across the middle. They're playing A.J. Klein at middle linebacker, and he is very reminiscent of uh, one Nick Kwiatkowski. He's a very good run stuffer. He's aggressive, but he cannot stay with crossing patterns, and the crossing patterns were open for Jacksonville all day long. Minshew didn't necessarily hit them, but the combination of having a pretty good time, having pretty good time to throw because the pass rush is not exceptional um, and getting the weakness in the middle of the field. And the other weakness is sort of in between um, the Saints defense is very fundamentally sound in between the two defensive ends. If you try and run through the middle, you're not going to get a lot of yards. Again, we haven't seen the bears offensive line generate a lot of holes there anyways. So that's not a huge loss. And if you go again, far to the outside, that sort of outside flare screen game, you're not going to get a lot there either, but there's that opening across the middle on crossers, and there's this sort of weird soft area, almost right down the numbers, not far to the outside, but outside the defensive end. That seems to be if you can flick little passes out there. Jacksonville is picking up six, eight yards on those, and it, those are a couple areas that the Bears are going to have to exploit if they're going to win this game. Well, that leads into the first key to the game. So why don't we just head into that? The first key that I have is. is well, that's a question. Uh, has has Nagy figured out something in the bye week that's going to work on offense? You know, should we should have Trubisky back? And so, you know, what have you come up with that's going to move this ball? Bears defense, or sorry, Bears offense, one of the worst in the league, and you know they're in danger of going below the Jets now that Darnold's back if they don't get this <laughs> this going in the right direction. I mean this this offense has been terrible and so hopefully that week off has allowed them to take a step back, evaluate like we talked about we got a fresh guard in there now. Hopefully that helps with some of the line problems that we were seeing, but these little outside, you know, lateral type passes, like those got to stop. And this is not a team to do that against. And it'd be nice to see Nagy actually scheme up against what the defense is not good at, right? Like to actually attack the weakness. And our colleague Kev was kind of, you know, he's obviously very hard on the Bears, and that's that's fine. Um, but he was brought this up like does Nagy ever actually attack the weakness of the defense we're going against and and I think this is going to be a good test because like you say there are some things that are very clearly uh weaknesses on this defense and we have weapons on this offense to take advantage of that you know this is the the Miller and hopefully the Burton and you know guys like that to be able to take advantage of that so let's do it you know, let's see if that happens. You know, what are you going to do to actually try to fi- fix this offense and move the ball? Yeah, that's that's the storyline for this game and really for the rest of the season. And in my notes back to you, I wrote, this is the story. If the Bears can, if Nagy and Helfrich can figure out how to push the buttons so this Bears offense is least capable or competent, the Bears will probably do all right because the defense is, as long as it rounds back into form, we both believe it will. The defense is good enough to carry you, but the offense has to score some points, and they have not looked capable of that so far. So if they sort of, I hate to use the keep it simple, stupid, but uh, not not simplify, but again, attack, you know, push your strength where the defense is weak, and I know it sounds simple, and not try and overcomplicate that or overcute that and just execute again, the line being stable should help that a tremendous amount. 
we could see some progression here. The bottom line is if we don't, the Bears season is over. They're not making the playoffs. And, you know, they will pick up some more wins for sure, but not enough to make the playoffs, not even close. They need the offense to be basically effective. I would say middle of the pack effective in the talents there, but we've not seen the execution matched with the scheme to do that so far. Absolutely. Uh, the second key that I have is I think it's important to get an early lead and make Teddy Bridgewater have to stare down this Bears pass rush. He's taken f- uh, 10 sacks in four games, which which is not a horrible number, don't get me wrong, but it would be somewhere in the top 10 if he continued that trend across all starts. Um, but it's it's not like it's Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota or anything like that but it's not it's a it's a number that's at least tells you that he'll he's willing to take sacks and when I've watched him it's not like it's not like Drew Brees where Drew Brees gets the ball out quick uh if if you get in his face he will kind of freeze and and take the sack he certainly has not faced a Bears defense uh as a Bears pass rush sorry a pass rush like the bears uh have so um this is something that i think is a obviously it's going to be an advantage for the bears all year but particularly when you have a guy like teddy who is a top backup probably like a bottom tier starter in the league uh you know he he does have weakness to his game and so getting into his face early and often is going to be a big key here and the way to do that the way to ensure that you have that opportunity is to get up early and have to force them into passing mode yeah it's a little bit of a tale of two cities with teddy um when he gets pressure or takes pressure he's a very different passer um, the good news for New Orleans is that their line is a modern NFL line, which means it's not very good at smash mouth run blocking in between the numbers, but it is quite good at pass blocking. They have put a lot of draft capital into that line, and it's a pretty good pass blocking line. Again, hasn't faced a defense like the Bears or a scheme like Pagano's that's very um, versatile, flexible, multiple the ability to bring pressure from lots of areas, blitzing safeties. And the more they can do that and the more quickly they can produce pressure, the more his mechanics are going to break down, the more he'll take sacks, and the more he will occasionally just toss a couple away. Now, he doesn't tend to toss them up for grabs, which is not good for the Bears. It would be nice if he was going to lob some up there for the secondary to get. He's not that kind of passer, but he does throw some balls in the dirt um, and just kind of throw them away from a flat-footed or open stance, especially when he gets pressure. So pressure is going to be an absolute key for the Bears. I think they can get it, but it's a big challenge for them because while not a great run-blocking line, as a pass-blocking line, I would probably put the Saints in the top 5 or 10. They're, They're quite good. Yeah, they've done a nice job in team building to make sure that they protect Breeze, um, and obviously Teddy is beneficiary of that right now. Uh, the third key that I have, well, the other thing I just wanted to mention about Teddy is that he's just simply not much of a threat to run. This is not a guy that is going to pick up a lot with his feet. Obviously, he had that leg injury. I think he's still kind of tentative to take off, and I think overall that's good. You know, I hate watching mobile quarterbacks chew up yardage on the with their legs because everything's covered and the pass rush you know goes behind him so i don't think that's a huge issue with teddy bridgewater no he's not who his successor at louisville was and lamar jackson he's not a threat to pick up uh running yards with his legs but i was uh, i'm gonna say subtly impressed with how well he moved in and around and sort of through and outside the pocket against Jacksonville to extend the play. There were a couple of plays there 
And folks like Brady do this. Brady's not a huge threat to run, but his movement inside the pocket to manipulate defenders is really, really good. And I'm not saying Teddy Bridgewater's is on his level, but there were a couple of plays where I was like, oh, where he he did that two or three times on the same play to extend the play to either give himself a chance at a clean throwaway or to hit you know a late-breaking receiver who after five or six seconds worth of coverage had had broken free. And maybe it was only minimal gain. These were not long gains, seven, eight yards to the sideline, something like that. But very, very impressive movement inside the pocket. And I didn't necessarily expect that after the injury, uh, but he's he's a good mover in and outside the pocket. So again, if they can get pressure on him, touch him, that's going to break down. But he was more slippery than I thought he would be for sure. Yeah, those good quarterback instincts. Uh, we saw a little bit of that when he was in Minnesota as well. So, um, all right, let's let's talk about my third one. And I I just simply put, it's kind of the old Bill Belichick way of thinking, taking away their their top option. And for me, I think that's Alvin Kamara. Take Alvin Kamara out of this game, and I think the Bears have an excellent chance. Uh, he's a really dynamic runner, but he's also just incredible out of the backfield in the passing game. And so. Uh, Bears have to have a plan for him, and I, you'd like to think that's Roquan. I don't think Roquan looked like the Roquan we expected in London, and so you know you wonder if he's going to be back. And I, I kind of wonder, is it crazy to think that they might have to bring Eddie Jackson down to try to take away Kamara, or is that too much of a chess piece to, to, to put on a running back? That's an interesting thought in terms of how to balance and I'm with you that Roquan is really the anti-Kamara and that's why the Bears drafted him. Not specifically for Kamara, but for multi-role threats like that. For him, Christian McCaffrey, guys like that that they need to counter that can play a strong role in the passing game or in the running game. Roquan didn't look like that player last week. He has in the past. If he doesn't come to play this week like that, it's going to be a serious advantage for the Saints because Kamara is a very special player. Again, I don't think he's going to have a lot of success between the tackles. The Bears have been effective there, and the Saints is the Saints line is not a smash-mouth run-blocking line. So I think they can control that part of the game, which is sort of the number one thing you need to stop. Then they're going to have to control them on sort of the swing game and the outside zone game. I don't think Jackson's a bad idea or maybe even a guy like Devin Bush to come down as kind of a spy uh, in a three safety alignment. Um, you know, they call it big nickel. That wouldn't be a bad strategy to to mix in there. Again, I, I think you need to mix up the coverages, but, but Kamara's the guy. The other thing is Kamara's fighting a sort of high ankle sprain, according to reports today. So even if he's slightly slowed down, that's very good news for the Bears because he is the guy you need to have an answer for. After that, it's Michael Thomas, but Michael Thomas's connection with Breeze as a wideout is much better than it is with Teddy. He didn't get a lot of targets from Teddy. And one of the other things is Kyle... Fuller is going to have to play a little bit tighter than he likes. He's not going to be able to play that 10, 11 yard cushion because Teddy likes the quick outside passing game and he will take a three yard gain to Michael Thomas all day long. And Fuller will give him that over and over again. Fuller's got to know that Bridgewater is not going to go to Thomas deep very often. And I don't want to say play press because that's not really where Kyle thrives, but he is going to have to come down a few yards to limit those easy gimme throws to the outside because Bridgewater will take them all day long if he gives them to him. 
Yeah, he's going to eat him up. And just to clarify what EJ said, it's Dion Bush, Devin Bush. We did not trade the Steelers for. Uh, that would that would have been the lead of our show <laughs> if that would have happened. Uh, right. So just just wanted to make sure that we uh, weren't confused. The, the wrong D Bush. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, totally understandable mistake. But uh, I was like, wait, Devin Bush. <laughs> that that kind of changed. We got things. Devin Bush. <laughs> Put Jeez, him on Kamara. Do we need another linebacker? Wow. Yeah, okay. Put him on Kamara. That'll Let's work. Do this. No. Uh, yeah. Must right. be the Taddy Porter talking. Yeah, well, um, we'll get to that in a second, but we got one more thing. We got we got to pick the game, right? We got to say yep, why we indeed. think the Bears are going to win or lose this game. Honestly, I I don't know. I I don't have a strong feeling about this one. It's Tuesday night. Maybe I'll figure it out by the end of the week. I can go back and forth. I think this game's going to be the under uh, in in the Vegas line, the over under. I just I don't necessarily see a lot of points in this one. I don't have a lot of confidence that the Saints can move the ball well against the Bears' defense. And I I need to see it from the Bears' offense right now. I guess that's where I'm at. You know, Trubisky coming back from injury, and this Bears' offense just looking as bad as it did in the first month of the season. And so, to me, I just don't think there's going to be a lot of points. I don't know who to pick here. Like, I don't, I don't have a great reason. The Bears are at home. Um, I think they match up pretty well against that – uh, Teddy Bridgewater's offense, I guess, but I I don't I don't love going against uh, the Saints defense because I'm not sure that Nagy's going to be willing to try to take advantage of what they're weak at. So right now I'm kind of up in the air. Where where are you at? I'm very similar feeling. I feel it's as close to a straight push as there is. If you could if you could pick a game at a half a point one way or another, uh, indicating that one team will barely best the other team that's what i would pick for this game um i'm gonna pick the bears and hope that two things happen one that kamara is just a step slow uh two that the offensive line stabilization means sort of better execution across the board and we get a a sort of cleaner look at what Nagy and helfrich have schemed um and actually you know have that executed uh, let's say faithfully. Um, I'm going to hope that that happens. And we saw a little bit of that with Coward um, when he had his replacement start earlier. I'm hoping that that he just sort of builds on that and they come out um, solid. Solid is what I'm looking for here because there's so many weapons on the bears offense that uh, I just hope they can use them again. Do I have faith that they're going to, blow anything open versus the saints i don't again if kamara as the key piece especially with teddy teddy running the offense is slowed um or stopped i don't think they can maximize the other really strong pieces in their offense like michael thomas teddy just doesn't go deep very often and that's one of thomas's specialties he's a great receiver overall but if you can't maximize that, it's sort of it, it almost nullifies it for the Bears without them having to do it. So I'll pick the Bears, but in in the squeakiest possible way by you know one or two points, I guess. And do I have a ton of faith in that pick? I don't. So I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, maybe a late Eddie Pinheiro field goal puts them over the top. That'd be great. I hey, like let's the Bears need this one. Uh, Saints don't, and sometimes that kind of comes into play uh, for a team. If they're really a good team, good teams don't generally lose two games in a row. I know they're separated by a bye, but uh, generally a team bounces back. And the Saints have been able to really ride this Teddy Bridgewater thing quite well. 
Uh, they're on the second game on the road in a row, and so you can kind of see that eh, maybe they are just not quite as hungry as the Bears are. Sometimes that matters in the NFL. Any little edge that you can get is important, and so hopefully it's a good game. Hopefully the Bears come out on top, um, uh, and we'll be <laughs> incredibly happy if if they can win this one. Because if they can win this one, uh, that means that they've right of the ship a little bit and have a good chance to to beat the chargers and all of a sudden now we're talking about a team that can start talking about playoff aspirations again so it's a very important game um and uh it's going to be fun to watch so let's circle back to the beers uh taddy porter i've had it is that a green bottle that it comes in still or uh, no this one's brown uh okay. it is a brown bottle um it's a very classic English porter, and by that, it, I mean it just doesn't pull very many punches. It has that dark, uh, peaty flavor almost, um, not a ton of carbonation, very, very dark beer, uh, almost that blackish taste you talked about. Yours is you know, black lantern um, You know, they, they started brewing this thing in 1758. Uh, they probably haven't made a lot of changes since then, and it kind of tastes like that in a in a good way. Um, this is a, a strong beer for you know strong folks who did hard work, uh, largely on the docks. That's where the porter name comes from, and you know uh, they've been doing it that long for a reason. And it's sort of like you know what you're signing up for, and you get it. Um, I wouldn't drink it all the time, but it is fun to go back to it. Um, having having been to that part of the world and had had beers and pubs, um, it is it is definitely reminiscent of that. So, you know, it's it's solid, good stuff, and definitely recommend it if you haven't had it. Yeah, definitely. I've had that one, and I would also recommend that uh, oatmeal stout from them. It's quite good. Yeah, I got all three of those. I got the Taddy Porter, the Nut Brown, the Oatmeal Stout, and uh, an English pint glass, which is, of course, a 20-ounce glass in a box, and they call it Pub in a Box. Oh, nice. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, quite good. Uh, all right, so mine, um, again, it's it's this is a very seasonal drink. Have you know buy one six pack of something like this a year, or do a mix sixer and throw a couple in. But I like it. Again, you got to kind of like dark beer, but it's it's getting cold out. Buy yourself some dark beer and enjoy it, and kind of slide into what should be a a nice and cold winter <laughs> coming up for us. Um, this is just kind of a perfect fall, uh, late fall beer uh, that I I've liked for the last couple of years. So um, I'm into it. Uh, if you don't like pumpkin, that's fine, but I think this is a pretty good beer, so uh, this gets my thumbs up. Cool. Yeah, there's a lot of fun dark pumpkin beers this time of year, so um, give a couple a try. There's there's everything from tangy to sweet. We'll talk later about my major nemesis in beers, which is spices. <laughs> Whenever it says spices on the label, I get really, really wary because there's just so many bad ways to spice a beer and not too many good ones. So, all right. Well, that gets us out of here. We are looking forward to the Saints game this weekend. Nice to have Bears football back on the television, or if you're lucky enough to go in person, uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at Bears Over Beers. That's the easy one to remember. Jeff can be found at Gridironborn. I am at the Draftsman FB. You can follow our other work on Windy City Gridiron. 
We've got some great colleagues there pumping out tons of content every day. Make sure to check it out. Follow the podcast channel as well. You can hear Lester Wilfong's T-Formation Conversation. Robert Schmitz's Bear With Me. Uh, and our newest uh, addition, Bill Zimmerman, and his podcast, which is fantastic. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Um, but all in all, uh, enjoy a dark beer. Uh, settle in for fall. Cozy up. We've got a good run. The buy is out of the way. And for now, just drink up and bear down. <laughs>